Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but a thing one lives to do, wrote British novelist Dorothy Sayers. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. Swift on the heels of the pandemic came the great resignation when millions of people around the world voluntarily resigned from their jobs. Economists and sociologists believe that the pandemic gave people the opportunity to reevaluate their work-life balance and why they are working. I'm Haley Gray Scott, and this is Christian Curious. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm speaking with Denver Institute's Faith and Work, Joanna Meyer, about why we work. Joanna serves as Denver Institute's Director of Public Engagement, hosts the Faith and Work podcast, and oversees the Women in Vocation initiative. Prior to coming to the Institute, Joanna worked in, the, in global telecom, nonprofit consulting, and campus ministry with Crew. She has an MA in social entrepreneurship from Bakke Graduate University and graduated magna cum laude from the University of Colorado Boulder. She also completed her cert- a certification of women in leadership through Cornell University. She is a contributor to the multi-author book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. Joanna, thank you so much for being here. Hi, what a treat to be with you. I know, it's great to see you. Um, My very first question is, there is a lot of talk in culture about calling. We can hear that um, not just in, you know, faith spheres, but secular spheres as well. And so I'd love to hear you unpack what does the word calling mean? What does it mean to be called? Yeah, it's fascinating to listen to the various uses of the word calling. And I think it reflects this hunger that we have to have, have a sense of clarity about how we should live, uh, why we're and what we're living for, and some kind of organizational purpose in our lives that can help make it feel like the way that we're spending our daily work or our hours feels meaningful. But that can lead to a lot of confusion. And so as we talk this morning, I, I hope to offer a few simple framing thoughts based in scripture that can help anyone who's listening be able to move forward in discerning what God would have them do in their life. And in its simplest sense, the word calling comes from the idea that God calls to us. He has a purpose. He invites us into something. Um, it also has overlaps with the word vocation. And you mm-hmm. mentioned in my introduction, the Women Vocation Initiative, the word vocation comes from the Latin word vox or voice. So they both have the sense that someone or something is summoning us to a specific purpose. Uh, it's important to note that calling implies a caller, which is fascinating because secular folks often use the word calling, but it's crazy to think of um, being called to something and that there's not a higher power summoning you to mm-hmm. do that. Um, and it raises a lot of questions uh, that we'll probably get to later about whether we see examples in scripture of God speaking specifically to people, if that's a normal experience that any believer can, can expect, or if God has a more general way of communicating with us. So just to unpack a little bit, you know, about what are, what are some of the big misconceptions that you, you see when it comes to calling? Yeah, so many questions. I think the first is that it's normal for God to have a specific personal message to an individual uh, with direction about what they um, should do. You know, if you've ever filled out a graduation card for someone, you might have turned to a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, which talks about for the note plan, these are the plans that I have for you. Um, it's a direct message from the Lord. And we forget that often scripture is given to a specific group of people or an individual in a specific context. And so we'll take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context and think, oh, this is supposed to be normal for every individual. And the reality is 
God's call for anyone that follows Christ, it starts by being general. There's some things that are truths for all of us to follow. And in some cases, that may be the only direction we leave in life, get in life. And it's rich and meaty. It's enough to really inform our life and help us be passionate about the work that we do. But when we're stuck in this idea that I need to have a direct message from the Lord to be able to move forward in something, it can keep us from having confidence and clarity. Uh, other misconceptions would be um, that calling is something that we feel. Like often you'll hear people say, oh, I feel called to do something or I feel led to that. We have this desire to have the sense of assurance or confidence that God is with us and directing us towards something. But, you know, it can even be manipulative if we're not careful or it can add a level of emotional import to something that really is not what God may have from us. I, I think of a time a couple years ago where a guy that I had not seen since um, college Facebooked me and said, I feel like it's God's will that we get married. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I And I wanted to say, okay, kid, let, let's talk about this. Like, where do you see this backed up in scripture? What are the circumstances beyond a feeling that this should happen? Like, how do you have any indication this is what God would have you do? Yeah, like the sense of, you know, when feeling goes into happiness too, mm-hmm. I need to do whatever makes me happy. I yeah. need to get into that. You know, a lot of people I've read will talk about the state of flow or, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, you mentioned just before we went on air the the uh, Manning quote, correct? Where, oh, yeah. what is that quote again? Yeah, so it's Frederick Beekner has a quote that, um, like your not life's, Manning Beekner, uh, yeah. yes. The, and I'll I'll paraphrase it, but like your life's purpose is where your greatest desire and the world's greatest needs intersect. And I love the thought of that. I think there's wisdom in discerning like what does make you happy, what is a wise stewardship of your gifts. But when you really think about it, like think globally and for all of human history, how many people have actually had the luxury of pursuing their greatest desires and the world's greatest needs. It's very Western. It's very modern. It's very privileged. Like if you're raised in poverty as a family of bricklayers in India, you don't have the freedom of asking questions like that. And yet God's call to the Christian life and a life of obedience holds true for that person as much as it does for you and I sitting Mm -hmm. here in suburban Denver recording our interview today. Yeah. I, I think of, the, the instant I think of instantly, I think of like my great grandfather's pulling out mesquite trees in uh, the panhandle of Texas in order to plant cotton. You yes. know, I mean, I don't think when they're wrestling with mesquite trees, which kind of like bramble their way through the ground, you know, that that they're thinking, oh, this is glorious and, you know, God's great calling for me. I mean, maybe God is providing, you know, land, um, but not necessarily. It's may not always feel happy when you're in certain jobs. Yeah. We need a richer understanding of work and what a life of faithfulness looks like in the Lord. And that, that can infuse great purpose and meaning, even in mundane tests. I mean, I had farm, I have farmers in my background. My grandfather raised sugar beets on the plains of Eastern Colorado, and it is not glamorous work. It, it had broke no. the backs of all of his kids um, to be able to do that. And yet he was a deeply faithful man and had significant purpose in the farm work that he did. Yeah. You know, I want to raise one more uh, misconception about calling I think is important. I think that's the idea that it's something that's hidden or elusive, that God is, he has this marvelous plan for us out there and we just have to discover that. And I have to admit, I, you know, I worked for more than a decade in campus ministry and we actually shared a little gospel tract that said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And um, that plan was to be in a saving relationship with Jesus. But sometimes that language of like, God has a wonderful plan. Can we can take it a step farther and think like, Oh, God has something amazing for me out there, but the task is for me to find it. I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, Hey, 
like, there's great purpose in what you're doing. And he said, ah, oh, yeah, but I keep worrying I'm going to miss God's purpose for my life. But somehow he's going to hide it from me. And I just think, like, if we follow a loving and faithful God, why would he ever hide his will for us? Like, right. he's going to make it clear enough for us to follow. So some of those misconceptions only create um, doubt, a lack of certainty, have us pursuing things that are maybe outside of what God would actually have us doing. So understanding, like, what calling actually is, is it's crucial. Yeah, so... What has led to these misconceptions, do you think? I mean, what do you think has caused them? Gosh, lots of reasons. I think some of it might be a poor interpretation of Scripture. Mm -hmm. I had a long conversation recently with a couple of professors at Denver Seminary about this. Um, And they had just said, you know, we look at examples of where God speaks to his people in Scripture, and we assume that that is normative or to be expected for everyone that follows Christ. And they said, you know, those messages were given to very specific people that played a truly unique role in the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament or the emerging work of the church in the New Testament. God had a specific purpose for that heroic person at that point in time and that everyone else that you see in scripture lived under a much broader sense of calling, of calling into relationship with God, into the community of Christ and the identity of what it meant to be part of the church, and by that I mean the big, big, you know, universal church throughout all history, that that is really actually what's normal for most people, not that mm-hmm. sense of like apostolic calling into something specific. Right. You know, and, you know, you can't hold like the two, you know, the the example of the early church. A lot of the callings that we see from, you know, the, the apostles that did not lead into happiness, you know, it no. led into, to death, you yep. know, they may have gotten the specific calling, but it didn't lead to happiness. Maybe it did lead to joy and a sense of fulfillment in the sense that I'm in alignment with God's will with my life, but it didn't lead to this overwhelming sense of happiness that we may be thinking of sometimes when we try to understand the way calling in our, what we are called to. Yeah. Can I share a little passage with you from Ephesians? This is from Ephesians 4, 1 through through 6. And if you listen to this, think about like what would in the early church, you know, the very earliest followers of Christ, how would they have received this? And, and how would that have made them think about what it meant to be called? So Paul, one of the early church fathers was writing this. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then here's how he talks about identity. He says, there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what stands out to me is this sense of um, worthiness into the life God calls us. And he's talking much more about attributes and a way of life than he's calling into a specific thing. And he's also talking about these hugely generous things. He says, by being called, you're called into one body of faith and one spirit, one hope that we have in Christ, one baptism, one God and Father over all things. And you just think, oh, at at its core, to be a Christian is to be called into those things more than it ever is into something that's specific. So when you think about your forefathers harvesting mesquite, they could live out that calling to Christ in that unique context. Yeah. So, you know, given this understanding of calling, if, you know, there are listeners and people who may be dissatisfied in their work or they may be dissatisfied with life in general, or maybe they feel disconnected or purposeless. They feel like they have no purpose or no meaning to their life. How could they start to unpack their true calling? Yeah. 
I think that's and a, discern that. Yeah, I think that's a really good question because there's kind of two levels to it. One is, what are the truths that we know about relation about being in relationship with Christ? And then the other is, how are we wise about actually kind of discerning a good stewardship of our lives? Um, and so, in answer to the first, the sense of like, what do we know about relationship with Christ? Um, we know that all work is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that can be hard to sit with, to think about, you know, we were talking about childhood jobs before we hit record. Um, and, you know, you fried chicken as a teen. I worked at a fast food restaurant and cleaned houses in college. I didn't work glamorous jobs. And yet that was part of God's broader, like, purposes for my life would, that would be that I would go through a season of that kind of work. And so we look at scripture and from the very earliest pages, we see two things about work. One is that as human beings were made in God's image, in the image of a creator, God, and that we reflect him by being creative. And by that, I don't mean just painting pictures or writing poetries, but poetry, but making something of the world around us, being proactive and engaging life as it is, is part of reflecting God's image and being creative. We also know that, um, that the very first instructions that God gives to humans in Genesis 2 and 3 relate to the way that we engage the creative world. It's often, I'm going to use a theological term called the creation mandate. His instructions were to steward the earth, to care for it, to create things, to realize its potential. And so men and women are both invited into that task of engaging the world and making something beautiful of it. And so that means that like the daily stuff of everyday life actually matters to God. At Denver Seminary, our online, on-campus, and hybrid graduate education programs prepare men and women to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our mission will equip you for any ministry calling. To learn more about our degree programs, certificate opportunities, and classes, visit denverseminary.edu. just us to look more deeply and understand how do the things of daily life matter to God. So maybe you're the manager of a local fast food restaurant. Like, how is God's goodness and his beauty and his truth expressed in that unique place? Like, how can you bring out God's attributes, not just by playing worship music in the lobby, but Mm -hmm. really looking at the way that functions, the culture of that company, the way it looks, the quality of the food you serve, the way you treat your employees. Um, All of that is part of that sense of like having a godly influence in the things of daily life. So in some ways it invites us to look differently at what our work is um, and what God intends it to be. We also have to realize that work work and daily life is a pretty broken place. And so the dysfunction that people may be feeling about their work is normal um, and real and something that can very much be grieved. I know I've had major heartbreak over the years and things related to my work, and God has been faithful to see me through that. That's part of that reality of living in a world that is broken and not the way that God intends it to be. And so understanding those big universal themes of what God intends in creation the effect that the fall has had on our lives um, is powerful. And I think any of us, if you're listening, you can probably look at a job and think, what about this situation, whether it's a team or a company or a broader workplace or industry, like what is pretty broken here? What mm-hmm. isn't the way that God wants it to be? Um, we can also ask, um, what does it look like for us to be able to infuse more of God's goodness and his kingdom here? That's the first step Yeah, um, is really being able to acknowledge what's broken there. And then that points us moving forward into a little different look at our work. 
or calling to realize that when Christ died on the cross, he is saving individual lives. He's restoring the effects of sin in our own lives, but he is also putting a grand process of redeeming all of human existence, all of creation. He's um, restoring whatever has been broken and harmed by sin. And he invites us to join him in that process, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. So yeah, all things are being made new in Christ. And just as we said, creation matters from the book of Genesis. God shows us that in Christ's death on the cross and some of the writings of the New Testament, we just see like, yeah, all things matter to God. And he invites us as his followers to press into those things that are, that are broken or don't represent the goodness of God's kingdom here on earth. So all of us get invited into that. You know, there are two things that really leap out to me is, you know, the very first is that, you know, I've been in Christian ministry since I was 21 years old. And so I have to reach really far back for examples of, you know, how this works out in a secular workplace. But I know that um, when I was very young, like 15, 16, I started waiting tables. And in the beginning, I was not that great. I mean, I would slack off. I would have my trainees do my work for me. Um, There were so many ways in which I was not a good employee. And later... um, I started approaching it very differently. I started bringing my whole heart to work and started trying to figure out how to work as unto the Lord and not just into man and see how well I could serve God through my work as a waitress, you know, and that really, I mean, transformed my life in in so many ways. I mean, it not only transformed my relationships with my, um, my employers, but also with the people that came in to see me, I made, you know, wonderful friends. I mean, was offered a full scholarship by, you know, people that came in to uh, sit at my table, you know, every Wednesday night. Um, So, you know, there are so many ways in which you can look at secular work and, and see how God can work through you in spaces that may be completely secular and completely closed off to God's presence. And, The second thing that you said when you were talking about brokenness is, you know, brokenness isn't limited to the secular workplace. We can also experience brokenness while working for Christian organizations totally, as well, which is really um, can be disillusioning and discouraging and alarming if you're not prepared for it. Yeah, some of the worst HR practices I've seen over the years are in Christian organizations. <laughs> and I know deep hurt uh, has been caused in a lot of people's lives. But, you know, there's I would say there's a gap in how we um, have been discipled as followers of Christ in our vocational imagination, meaning um, we haven't treated work like it's a place of dynamic influence for God. And we haven't taught and trained people to really look at the nuances of the work itself and just say, hey, are there ways in a a culture that's pluralistic that isn't Christian, are there ways to have a distinctly Christian influence here? I think of uh, a woman I know that's been involved with the Denver Institute who's in middle management at a bank. Uh, So she has a little bit of authority because she is a manager, but she's not at the top of the food chain by any means in that organization. And she headed up fully in other places. You know, shouldn't she go into full-time ministry if she wants to have an impact? But if you really think about it, if you want to see human 
beings thrive, the ability to be able to get into uh, an affordable place to live and have a healthy situation in your mortgage that isn't going to jeopardize them financially, like that's a big, that's a big deal. That really has an impact in a family's um, growth and health and their financial security. And so it's a unique place of influence for her. And she stepped back and instead of approaching the sales and marketing procedures that they would bring in her department from a, just a quota perspective of how many mortgages can we sell, she stepped back and said, what would it look like to transform the way that we sell these mortgages to help it be more other-centric? How can the spirit uh, that we see in Christ of servant leadership of considering others before yourself, if that became the foundation for the way this team of people, many of whom don't believe in Christ, but if those were values that we infused in the way that we sell our mortgages, how would that change the end result? And they found that sales actually increased. They had a really positive impact in the way that her team functioned because she was thinking about her work from a different lens. And she had that imagination to be able to apply Christian principles in a completely secular job. Yeah. And and that also, you know, if we are all, you know, created by the same creator, we all have those same desires and leanings and, um, you know, the, I guess the, the way that God created us, whether we are Christian or not, um, we are built in his image and his rules and his way of life will appeal to us and call to us, even if we are not believers. And so, you know, that sense of otherness would have appealed to them Mm -hmm. and given them that sense of fulfillment, even if they weren't Christian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's good. It's good for their clients to be uh, considering purchasing mortgages in that type of environment. And that's what God invites us into is that sense of like changing what's broken about mortgage sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would never think about that. Yeah. And all of us, that's where that imagination comes in. I think we need to invite people to think more deeply about the work they're doing and what it looks like to really have a godly influence there. Yeah. So, you know, there are so many ways that people that I have encountered in my years in ministry, they've lost track of their calling and maybe they, they began with a sense of purpose. Um, but then, you know, through a series of events, maybe it's rejection. You know, I, I think of, you know, times maybe whenever you think that you go to school for a particular job or you're, Um, have applied for a specific job, you've applied for it, you know, and you've trained, you've put in the hours, you've done all the right things, and then you don't get the job. And then you're like, what do I do now? I mean, I just, my calling didn't work. God, you didn't come through. You know, all you, all these doors have been slammed in my face. Um, um, I often think of the Coldplay song, Lost, you know, where they say, you know, every river I tried to cross you know, every door I ever tried was locked. And that sense of rejection that you can feel whenever things don't work out the way that you thought that they would. That's one way that we lose our calling. You know, we lose it through, you know, different phases of our life. Maybe, you know, I think of the stay-at-home mom whose kids leave for college and that sense of calling has been lost. Or, and so there are so many different ways that we can find ourselves lost and in this place of meaninglessness and we're struggling to find our meaning we're struggling to find our purpose in when we're in that place whatever has put us in that place what are the things that we can do to um to to ground ourselves to reorient ourselves 
around what calling is. Yeah. I think there are some spiritual principles and some practical ones as well. One is speaking spiritually, realizing that we live in a world that is still deeply flawed. Like we can find confidence and rest in the work that Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, but it's what one of my pastors has often described. We live in a season of now and not yet, which may sound confusing, but we can experience the joy of relationship with Christ now, but we're living in a world that is still in the process of being redeemed, which means it's not yet fully the way that God intends it to be. And that means life occasionally really, really stinks. We run Mm -hmm. into the brokenness and limitations of the human experience. I have a friend that often, um, just says, come Lord Jesus, because she just acknowledges that there is deep pain in daily life. Um, and that only when Christ returns, will we experience that full, full healing from the consequences of sin. And so I think remembering where we fit in the kind of grand story of scripture, it helps at a cognitive level, at an emotional level, allowing ourselves the freedom to grieve, yeah. realizing that it is okay to be disappointed. I, I've even, I'm taking some new risks and stretching out in areas related to my calling. And I have had to ask myself, like, Joanna, if what you hope happens doesn't come to fulfillment, will you be okay with that? Yeah. Like if you needed to change what you're doing and if you needed to go work at a bank and do mortgage sales, would you be okay with that and still believe God was purposeful there? Like, are you going to practice what you preach? And I've had to sit with that and really think about, yeah, there would be grief associated. And yet I could be invited into something new that God has for me. So there's that sense of like understanding where you fit in God's grand story, having the freedom to grieve, and then being able to realize that God shapes our soul through work, not just our nine to five jobs, but as we respond to his call to follow him, God is going to shape our souls in that process. And so it invites us back um, to think about his attributes, that he is loving and faithful and present and um, really grow into depth with him. And so that's as relevant to a woman that is grieving an empty nest whose kids have gone to college as someone who's recently lost a job or someone who is stuck in a job that just isn't what they want to be doing. You know, we can do the practical things of solving that problem with career counseling and finding a new job, but we can also trust that God is shaping our soul, deepening it and our trust in him through that experience that we have in our jobs. We don't speak to that enough as work as a place of deep discipleship with the Lord. Well, Joanna, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, what a treat to be with you. If people want to find out more about your work, more about calling, more about the Denver Institute of Faith and Work, where can they find you? They should go to denverinstitute.org, and we have loads of resources about calling. We have a downloadable ebook. We have some courses in our Faith and Work classroom that are free that help you listen to some of the nation's top thinkers um, about calling. And also we have some podcast episodes, too. So loads of resources to help people think more deeply about this. Great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Christian Curious with me, Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com to find more shows and find out more about us. That's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious. Stay curious.